0: Major apartment on the west side of Los Angeles, it's High On Film! Tonight, it's the first annual High On Film Fest, and we're counting down the best movies of this century so far, on this enumerated episode. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of High On Film Sobering Talk About Movies. I'm Chris Maxwell, I'm your host. Welcome to a very special episode, and in fact, the first ever High On Film Fest which is not a film fest at all, it's just a festival that myself, the host of the show, and my co-host, the man who's right to my left, the, hmm, where should we start, the co-host from the couch, the Walking Kevin Bacon Game, the BD that's always GP, and the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis, hi, have done here. (laughs) We, once a year, we take some time to do a countdown, a list Somewhat inspired by uh, the year in movies, or other lists, or other discussions that happen. And, uh, well, you've arrived at this episode. We're not just covering one movie like we normally do with a guest. This episode is Sans Guest, and all kinds of movie talk. Today, inspired by the BBC list, the BBC culture list of the greatest films of the century so far. 2000 and on. Uh, I think we both read this list, we liked it.
1: Yes, for the most part. I mean, obviously, we had some disagreements here and there, but for for the most part, it was a pretty comprehensive list.
0: Yeah, hence why we're doing our own. That's true. Exactly. Uh, I think this is nice, too, because 2000 to 2010 is probably the first decade where I think I not only saw more movies, but started thinking about movies critically for the first time for the full decade. I reached out and saw movies that weren't necessarily in my usual circle. Uh, so it's it's interesting to put this list together on a, a you know seventeen years that I am wholly an adult and critically thinking about films and reaching out and finding new films. So uh, this was kind of a, a fun list to do. Brad? Yeah, it was. I
1: I agree. My uh, development analytically as far as film goes certainly has uh, taken off. Uh, specifically, and really since we started doing this podcast, even in the last ten years, uh, but certainly going back to two thousand, that's this is a pretty big crop of movies. Of oh yeah, I actually could look at these movies and truly understand filmmaking uh, 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 strategy and so on and so forth, and actually feel like I can uh, critique it mm-hmm. in an intelligent way.
0: Yeah, and we're watching these movies when they are released too, so we can see the. Zeitgeistian influence they have, or otherwise, uh, which is important. That's being you're watching a movie from 1950 on Amazon or Netflix, and it's you don't always know exactly where it fits in, in history and how it was viewed at the time, and I think that's uh, an important thing to consider that I think we're able to for all of these movies. I should say that I think it's a wholly American movie list as well. I know I in my runners-up I have one international film, but I think that's it. As uh, I'm not sure of all yours, Brad, but... Uh, uh yeah... Yeah, no international... That's all right. I mean, it is a little bit of a shameful shameful spot, but I did not see Spirited Away or Yee Yee, both of which were high up on that list, the BBC list. Uh, and I still hope to remedy that someday. But today is not that day. Well, we're working with what we got. We're working with what we got, like usual, Brad. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> For better or worse. Um. Yeah, and... Oh, yes. We compiled this list together so we, that we wouldn't have any repeats, so that all ten slots would go to... Uh, original picks, so I guess what I'm trying to say is while we both agree on this list of ten, it is not our individual lists of ten.
1: No, it was kind of a compiled top five each, and then kind of putting it together in order to come up with a uh, cohesive ten.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what do you say? we get this started? Let's do it. Alright. Starting with number ten, and I'll, go, I'll vouch for, for this one on the list. Uh, of course. It is 2014's Richard Linklater's Boyhood. Okay, sure, a very personal pick, a bit of a gimmick movie. A uh, movie that broke you. I but, witnessed it break you. I like to think it made me whole. However you want to put it. Sometimes you got to break things to make them whole. That's you know? true. That's is, that true. A, is that a saying?
1: <laughs> I, I just before you go into this, I've never seen... I've, you've watched a lot of movies, obviously. I've watched a lot of movies with you. I've never seen you have such a visceral reaction to a film and I didn't even watch the movie with you I saw you 3 hours later <laughs> and you were still a whole boyhood later <laughs> yes and you were still this that emotionally raw from the movie
0: yes I will say it is uh it was a little like seeing parts of my life played out on screen in front of me which was a surreal experience um but if you're not familiar this is the the movie they shot over 12 years using the same actors um, <clears throat> and yeah, that can be dismissed as a gimmick, except that I think it's pulled off in spades. It is uh, an unparalleled document of growing up, especially for Eller Coltrane, who I think is probably very lucky, uh, maybe unfortunate at times, but uh, pretty cool to have your whole childhood on film documented like this. Uh, by Richard Linklater. <laughs> by Richard Linklater, yeah. I mean, the cinema verite elements that Linklater always puts into his films uh, make it all the more truthful. Do we need a diary of another white man in America growing up? What it's like for that experience? Probably not. I can't really ever forgive it for that white savior redemption moment with uh, Patricia Arquette. Ooh, yeah, that's a bad scene. Where the Mexican gardener thanks her for pushing him to go to school. But that being said, it is done with such love and care and attention to uh, family and the experiences that can shape you as you're growing up. Uh, I just think it's a a phenomenal film. It's beautiful. It is, uh, I think, quite an achievement for Linklater and for film itself. And I'll tell you, Ethan Hawke does not get enough credit for that awesome compilation of Beatles solo songs (laughs) known as the Grey Album that apparently he made for Boyhood and to give to uh, Eller Coltrane. And, uh, yeah, it's awesome.
1: I mean, in a different year. Because I think it was him against J.K. Simmons, I want to say. It was a stacked Best Supporting Actor. Ethan Hawke, yeah. Ethan Hawke could have easily won an Oscar for this movie. I thought he... This is my favorite performance of his. Um, I think it is kind of a perfect uh, culmination, almost, of his work with Linklater. Um, yeah. You, especially watching the Before trilogy, you kind of see his... Uh, uh, not transformation, but his growth, his evolution as an actor a little bit uh, to, man, he is so damn good in this movie. And obviously Patricia Arquette winning an Oscar, deservingly so. Both of them as uh, his parents are pretty much, uh, you couldn't have cast two better people for those roles, I believe. The only problem I've always had with this movie, you mentioned the scene, that is a problem. And you have kind of the issue with some movies of don't work with animals, don't work with kids. There are some scenes where, the other kids around are not very good actors.
0: That's true. I don't mind that because I think it does bring that documentary, uh, non-actor feeling that, to it. And that's fine. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it bothers me. One you. scene in particular just took me out of the movie. The kids in the
1: abandoned house? Yes. Yeah. Took me out of the movie. Sure. So, But otherwise, <laughs> such an accomplishment in film, especially for how many things, how much movie changes over time, how much schedules, trying to get all these people together to keep filming these things over 12 years, it's truly an accomplishment in filmmaking.
0: Yeah. And I mean, this pick easily could have been before Sunset as well, Uh, another movie he made since 2000 that I think is near perfect. Uh, It's a beautiful film, but I mean, Linklater has had a hell of a century so far. Not only before Sunset, but before Midnight as well, the third net trilogy, Waking Life, Tape, Scanner Darkly, School of Rock, Bernie, I think all of which are probably on my top hundred of the century, uh, and maybe his coming film, Last Flag Flying. We'll see. Pseudo-sequel to The Last Detail. So... Stack
1: cast, uh, again.
0: Cranston, Carell, and... Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. Law Fish. Law Fish. Crazy. Yeah. Can't so we'll wait. See. I'm very interested. Yeah. Brad... What do you got for number nine? Uh, number nine,
1: I had qualms with this pick, but I feel, a a little bit just cause it's too, it's almost too commercial of a pick in a way that I, but anyway, it is dark, the dark Knight, uh, Christopher Nolan's second movie in the Batman trilogy. Um, it is the best superhero movie ever. I don't even know if it's close quite honestly. Wow. Okay. Um, It was actually on recently. Uh, I caught like probably the last uh, two-thirds of it. Every time I watch the movie, I'm more and more impressed with the script. I think that is the element to this movie that constantly gets overlooked, especially when you watch Dark Knight Rises. I remember seeing Dark Knight Rises in theaters and being like, man, that just didn't feel like it was very good. <laughs> and then I went back and watched Dark Knight, and I was like, it wasn't very good. Dark Knight Rises was yeah, yeah. not very good. The yeah. script, I, I mean, just the, so many great lines in the movie, the, you either die the hero or live long enough to become the villain is almost a... Iconic. For, I mean, it's used. Jay Z's. I was going to say like, it's named a Jay Z I mean, song. Which yeah. Is, uh, what more? What more do you need to know? Yeah. If
0: you need any verification of, of of a line being iconic.
1: And it is a ballsy movie. In I feel like too many superhero movies kind of play it safe. And in the killing of Maggie Gyllenhaal's, I mean, a big spoiler here, but most people have seen this movie. Rachel. Billions of dollars. Rachel Dawes is a bold decision for a movie franchise. And not enough franchises take risks like that. So I always kind of give it props because it really gives you the, that emotional tearing you down a little bit of obviously Bruce and obviously uh, Harvey who then turns into a villain because of it. All of that being said, this movie is not on this list without Heath Ledger. It is, I was wondering when you were going to get uh, to this. Well, save the best for last. Sure. It is a... Uh, I'm going to use all the cliche phrases because they are overused and often not used in the right way. They are fitting here. Tour de force, uh, revelatory performance. When he was cast in the movie, I was like, what are you doing, Christopher Nolan? Heath Ledger? I just don't see it, especially after what Nicholson had done with the Joker. It is one of the greatest performances in movie history. It is... It's chilling, it is funny, it is brutal, it is transformative. And this movie is not on the list without him.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, Heath Ledger is awesome. I remember, you know, smugly being like, what? This is going to be a train wreck. Heath Ledger is a Joker. No, the guy from Knight's Tale? No way. But yeah, pulls off in spades. The the reimagining of the Joker here, uh, based off of... um, uh, Oh, what's his nuts name from the 80s Batman? Uh, Miller, Frank Miller, comic books. Um, Yeah, it is great. It's pulled off so well. And it's a shame that uh, Ledger died and couldn't be part of the third one. I imagine that would have made Dark Knight Rises uh, a bit better. I have to imagine the fact that he'd left
1: Joker alive in Dark Knight meant that he planned to use him for Dark Knight Rises in some form or another. And then when he passed away, obviously that changed probably his entire game plan. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And spoiler alert, this movie, the only Christopher Nolan film on the list. So sorry, Inception and Interstellar fans. Yeah.
1: That's just, and uh, Memento, I believe, is 2000.
0: Oh, Memento. That could have been on this list, yeah. too. I and Dunkirk. Yeah. yeah. Could have been on this list. Not. Future Best Picture winner, Dunkirk. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not, too. Although I really did enjoy that movie. <clears throat> All right. Number eight, Ocho. 2002. Here it is The Old Guard, Steven Spielberg. Catch me if you can. I adore this movie. I do think it is Spielberg's last great masterpiece. Again, sorry for those who like Munich. I couldn't get into that movie. I don't know if it's because I don't have the the uh, memory of the actual event, or the connect, I mean, or the, the connection to it. It might be because of that Eric Bana screaming orgasm scene that I kind of remember (laughs) and I didn't care for. Either way, uh, it wasn't for me. I liked War Horse, I liked Lincoln, but they are not what this movie is. This movie is classic Spielberg fun. Uh, This is also, I think, my most surprising pick on this list. I agree. I didn't think this would make my list, but every time I see it on, it pulls me in and I just enjoy watching it. And like you said, uh, the performances, in addition to Spielberg being a masterful filmmaker the performances make this a joy. DiCaprio, uh, Tom Hanks playing a little, uh, a less conventional Tom Hanks role, True. Christopher Walken, and then a cavalcade of uh, DiCaprio's girlfriends in this, Amy Adams, Jennifer Garner, um, there's a Grey's Anatomy lady on uh, there. Ellen Pompeo. Ellen Pompeo, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I just love this film. It's It's phenomenal. It's,
1: it was actually on last night and I watched it before I went to bed and I stayed up until the end, even though it was almost three o'clock in the morning because I love this movie. It is so fun. It's so clever. It's, and this is going to sound crazy to say, it's DiCaprio's breakout role. Titanic and Gilbert Grape are obviously his breakout role as far as celebrity, as far as uh, just being kind of in the zeitgeist and being kind of known as this huge actor. Catch Me If You Can is the first movie where I was truly floored by his performance. He has such... And the thing I always forget about this movie is he's playing a 17-year-old or 16- to 18-year-old yeah, in that range because he brilliantly has these moments of pretending to be somebody else and making you believe that he's a doctor or a lawyer and all this. But then he mixes in these beautiful, nuanced little moments of like, but this is still a kid. And he nails it. And he, it's almost like this uh, duplicitous... Uh, performance that you just kind of get all of and it starts off a string of movies for him uh we'll uh, we'll get to other ones but specifically like uh aviator gangs of new york's first work with uh scorsese blood diamond shutter island inception Django. like this really sets off a string of dicaprio greatness yeah
0: and, and he has the right kind of uh bravado to pull this off and I mean, what makes that even work better is, uh, I think of, like, the doctor scene, where he has to, like, look at this patient who has, like, a broken leg or something. Uh, yeah, like, blood spewing. And he has no leg. idea what he's doing. And to see him crack, to see that bravado, to see all this, like, uh, ego that he has as this, like, kid who's making millions of dollars and getting away with it, uh, fall when it, it has, when someone's life is on the line, is phenomenal. To uh, the point where he's almost puking at the sight of blood. Yeah, and, and the, the bones sticking out of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just terrific. It's a, it's a great performance and just a uh, a fun movie. Uh, I think a, a, a nice little uh bright spot in this list, I think it's going to be increasingly heavier. Yeah, and it, just a nice little caper film. I, yeah. I mean,
1: it's it, the scene I always love of when DiCaprio is technically caught by Tom Hanks in the room, but DiCaprio plays it off like he's a cop and he's there already. Yeah. It's just such a fun like having these two square off and meet each other for the first time and he still gets away like, "Uh, it's such like a little Fun scene, I just eat it up.
0: Yeah, yeah, truly. All right, we're at number seven. Uh, Well, let's stick with
1: what's working. Okay. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, another film working with Martin Scorsese, uh, *The Departed*. It is only four years later. Yes, it is. uh, I I didn't name it in that list of DiCaprio. um, uh, the, The Catch Me If You Can kind of set off this great run of films. Departed being, in my opinion, uh, his probably his best performance to date. Uh, I think the stress of, again, kind of this duplicitous character of trying to keep up uh, appearances with the Jack Nicholson mobster and then also the panic underneath of knowing that, worrying he's going to be caught, worrying uh, what's going to happen to him uh, and his dealings with Martin Sheen and Mark Wahlberg. Uh, his performance in this movie always stood out to me the first time I saw it. It still does every time I watch it. Um, It's Scorsese's modern day masterpiece. Um, And I think that this, while we're talking about DiCaprio, he is the best actor of our generation. I think he is probably... Yeah, I don't think
0: you get too much pushback on that. It's hard to. Yeah. and he's got his oscar now scorsese's got his oscar because of this movie yes and i mean you start between aviator
1: catch me if you can departed then you get his oscar for revenant like i just feel like he has been crowned finally and deservingly so the best actor of our generation
0: yeah i mean you're right this again a tour de force of of acting here Damon, uh, brilliantly subtle. I I think Damon doesn't get enough
1: credit for this movie. Actually, I'm sorry to to interrupt you. I wanted to mention that he, I think it's his. He has to internalize so much in this movie, and you see it all play out uh, in in mostly silence. Is uh, a really nice job by him.
0: Yeah, and again, Scorsese. What a uh, century so far. I mean, Shutter Island, a movie that easily. Could have made this list as well. I agree. I love that movie. It's a great film. Uh, Aviator. Great. I I really loved Hugo. And uh, Half of Wolf of Wall Street, I think, is really good. Whole 50% of it. Yeah, the first two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, that's number seven, Departed, of course, the the Scorsese Oscar. Number six, another Oscar winner.
1: Uh... Most recent
0: Oscar winner. Yes. La La Land. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, Moonlight. That'll be the last time we ever make that joke. That's in podcast. it. That's it. Never retire, again. Retired the joke. Yeah. It's over. It's travesty uh, what happened. Barry Jenkins, 2016, Moonlight. The Arguably the most important film on this list. I wrote the exact same thing down. Most important story on this list. Arguably the most important story told in this century.
1: It is a movie that we have not seen a movie about a young black man growing up in uh, an impoverished area, dealing with uh, drug dealers on a consistent basis, dealing with just the hardships of growing up uh, impoverished, impoverished, and dealing with kind of the masculinity elements of that society, but also dealing with the fact that you are gay. Mm-hmm. And it's a story we haven't seen. I walked out of that movie theater, uh, felt feeling like I've been gut punched in both good and bad ways. Just feeling like uh, I this movie knocked me off my feet. And I think it is it is the most important, unique story that we've
0: seen in a long time. Yeah, you say you know don't work with kids. The kids in this are great, fantastic. Not to mention the rest of the cast: Javante Rhodes, phenomenal. And uh, Barry Jenkins shoots the hell out of this. I mean, I, I didn't look up the director of photography, unfortunately, but the use of color in this film is gorgeous, with the uh, the Florida bright uh, pastels on the houses and cars, the ocean, the sky. They shoot black skin like never before. It is a gorgeous film, and so expertly told in... I, I don't want to say non-linear, because it definitely follows a path, but uh, an unconventional way. Three different actors playing the same character at different times in his life. Uh, I just love it. I think it's innovative, important, and beautiful.
1: Yeah, and Mahershala Ali wins an Oscar deservingly How so. can you forget about Mahershala Ali? Naomi Harris would have won an Oscar almost any other year if she wasn't up against Viola Davis, who should have been in the Best Actress category, so she should have won an Oscar. She was incredible. Uh, and the diner scene at the end, everything that takes place in that diner scene is so well done, so well acted, and the scene where, God, I'm forgetting his name now, uh, is cooking for, uh, the, the, his, the scene where he's just making him dinner at the diner when he shows up is one of the most romantic scenes I've maybe ever seen.
0: Oh yeah, stealing
1: glances at one another, it well, is... And just his care, like, he's just working at this, like, you know, typical diner, no big deal. Yeah, just, greasy spoon. Yeah, and just the care that he takes in making this food for the guy who showed up is um, is such a beautiful scene. I just love everything that takes place at that diner. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. All right, number five. <clears throat> um, boy, 2004, Michelle Gondry film. Kevin, that was his name. Kevin, yes, that is the, the yep, character's sorry. name. Sorry. No problem.
1: To undercut, yeah.
0: Michelle Gondry's film in 2004, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Boy, I mean talk about uh, looking at Jim Carrey in a new light I guess I mean what is this this is after Truman Show for yes. sure yeah yeah but uh, to see him do a very unconventional uh, romance uh, this is a beautiful movie uh, the reality of the bittersweet um, in life uh, you know you the, the bad making the good worth it and, and vice versa uh, it is a clever creative and I love the slightly genre bending script by Charlie Kaufman who is one of the great writers of this uh, of our age? I mean, look at his two thousand so far adaptation, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, but just written, Schenectady, New York, and Anomalisa. I think are both wildly uh, imaginative and unbelievable films that he both directed as well. Um, yeah, I, God, I just it's been a while since I saw this, but I remember seeing this in theaters. I was a minute late, so I didn't even get to see the first minute of the movie until it came out on DVD. But I. I absolutely fell in love with this from the from the second I sat down in the in the Manor Theater in Squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Shout out! Shout out! One of my favorite theaters, <clears throat> and yeah, it's it's just phenomenal. Kate Winslet, Jim Carrey, a great supporting cast with David Cross and Kirsten Dunst, and it's just Mark Ruffalo, Mark Tom Ruffalo. Wilkinson. Yeah, look at that guys. I'm already forgetting. Um, yeah, and serves as a nice little uh, double feature with uh, Spike Jones as her now. Mm. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's one of the most creative films I've probably ever seen. Um, Kate Winslet's amazing in it. Uh, Jim Carrey. I, you brought up Truman Show, which I think is these are probably his two great performances. Maybe that these two in Man on the Moon. And Majestic. I liked Majestic. I, I liked Majestic. I don't <laughs> put his performance up there with these. Two sure, yeah, pretty. yeah. Man on the Moon's a good one, yeah. Um, Truman Show, I feel like... While I love that performance, I love that movie, I feel like you still get a lot of Jim Carrey-isms in that movie, where this movie, it truly felt like the typical Jim Carrey comedic angst, for lack of a better term, is truly gone. Like It disappears, and he is just this reserved guy who all he wants is kind of minimalist normalcy, and he falls in love with the most off-the-wall, all-over-the-place woman... You could imagine and this kind of uh, uh, opposites attract thing is is beautiful. But yes, the, I, what did I write that heart? This movie is heartbreakingly
0: beautiful. Yes. That's what I was saying with the bittersweet. Like, uh, you know, as as he gets his memories erased, all these bad memories of being just heartbroken. He sees all the good times and wants to keep them. And oh man, he he just gives such a raw, true performance. It's a beautiful film. All right, that brings us to number four.
1: What do you um, got, Brad? I have Quentin Tarantino's other masterpiece. Other masterpiece, not Pulp Fiction. Not Pulp Fiction because it's not in the two thousands. Inglorious Bastards. Um, this, I, I believe, he has two masterpieces. A couple others that are close, but I feel Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards are his. Are his two? Um, it's. Uh, I love the idea of recreating the everything in, uh, uh, around Hitler. Everything mm-hmm. that took place in World War II and just kind of having it be your own dramatic fun. Just kind of like, hey, we want to do it this way. Yeah. We want to kill Hitler.
0: Yeah. Um, well, that's, I mean, Quentin Tarantino certainly uh, revels in revenge films. That's fair. Kill
1: Bill, obviously.
0: Yeah, Django. Yes. Uh, and this, I mean, this is, you know... Jewish revenge on Hitler, which is, it's great. It's fun. Um, it's, it's, uh, the,
1: the one scene in this movie I always think of that I think is so brilliant that the first time I saw this movie, I remember thinking like, oh, this scene's so slow, is the bar scene. Wow, you thought
0: that was slow when you first saw it, The first, the first time I saw it, believe me, I completely, the second time I saw it, I was like, oh my god, this scene is brilliant. This is the scene where America found out where, who Michael Fossbender was. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's the scene, uh, now I watch it and it's so Hitchcockian. It is this slow-paced suspense build that is brilliant. Like just sitting down, you know, you're going in to meet with your spy connection and just sitting down having some drinks and then all of a sudden somebody picks up on a little something weird with your accent and it just slowly builds to this just brutal, violent uh, shootout. That is so well done. I... Every time I watch it now, I just... uh I think it is arguably what maybe Tarantino's, like, best scene he's done. Wow. And just because of the slow build of it, and I know he's said this before, that the best character he's ever written is Hans Landa, the Christoph Waltz uh, character in this movie, which is played to perfection. Um... Also a scene in this movie, the slow build beautifully, the opening scene where you meet him. I was going to bring that. this up. Yes. I, I was like, there's another scene I'm forgetting that is also just such a beautiful Hitchcockian scene that the opening scene where you meet him for the first time, the milk with the people under the floorboards. The floorboards. floorboards. I, I can't say enough about this movie. Uh, you get two of the... I mean, now on this list, we have listed two of the great villain villainous performances ever. Mm-hmm. Ledger and Christoph Waltz in this movie. It is... Uh, it's truly an accomplishment. I think it's a fantastic film.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't really have much to add to that. It is, it's great. Uh, I agree with you. The scene to scene, it is done with such care and such... Uh, with such an expert eye. That I think this does make it among Tarantino's best. Uh, I don't think, aside from Pulp Fiction, that he's put this much detailed work into a film, uh, and I think it pays off here. And again, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they say uh, what is it? Ninety-eight percent of directing is casting, and that's still true here. I mean, I think that's true of all these movies. This this movie is expertly cast with everyone in it. Um, right down to Sam Levine and Eli Roth. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're great. It's it's wonderful. Brad Pitt doing a great character performance. Oh, he's which awesome. He's not really one to turn in the best character performances always.
1: And then he, everything that takes place in the theater, too. The slow build of that. Yeah. The scene where uh, Christoph Waltz takes um, Diane Kruger mm-hmm. to the room when he f- yeah, has yeah. found her shoe. That scene is nuts. Yep. It is just a... Uh, it, it is Tarantino at it, uh, other than like Pulp Fiction, it is Tarantino at his best. Yeah. Doing what he does best.
0: Yeah. All right. Down to three with my uh, ring finger, middle finger, and pointer finger. I'm not using my thumb so you can tell I'm American. <laughs> well done. Thank you. <laughs> a little bit of a reach there, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. Number three. Well, let me just say I could make almost my entire list, or I guess my five of this list. Four of them could easily be every Paul Thomas Anderson movie made since 2000. Punch Drunk Love, The Master, Inherent Vice, they probably all deserve to be on this list, because every time I watch any one of those, I think it's his best work, and that it is going to be better than There Will Be Blood, but they're not. Mostly because they don't have the single greatest performance of this century so far. Daniel Day-Lewis as Daniel Plainview, Turning in a masterwork. I mean, this movie is outstanding. 2007, Paul Thomas Anderson. It is relentlessly prescient. um, And it's so crazy to me that the movie works like Plainview himself. It's ambitious. It's violent. It's dangerous. I I mean, the cinematography is gorgeous. The score. The score is outstanding. Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. It's, It's phenomenal. I'll tell you, I think Paul Thomas Anderson is the new Stanley Kubrick. That is my new film criticism book. It's going to be a one-to-one ratio of Paul Thomas Anderson movies to a Stanley Kubrick movie. And I'll just run down right now so that you can have it on film. On film, Jesus. On
1: film. Let's, let me get <clears throat> on the camera.
0: Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, here, here it is. Inherent Vice, equating to Dr. Strangelove. The Master, equating to Full Metal Jacket. Punch Drunk Love, equating to Barry Lyndon. Boogie Nights, equals Eyes Wide Shut. Heart 8 is Lolita, Magnolia is Spartacus, and Verily Blood, this is the one I'm not sure on, because this is a phenomenal movie, but is it Clockwork Orange, or what I'm more inclined to think of, The Shining? It's probably The Shining. Obsession. Madness. Destroying everything around you. Look for it in about ten years after I get my uh, thoughts <laughs> yeah. together. Coming not so soon. Re, uh, re-evaluate each and every one of these movies, but um, yeah, I mean this... This probably should be number one, but it's not.
1: Yeah, well, and it's funny because... It is a near-perfect movie. In any other year of the 2000s, probably going back to the late 90s even, this movie wins Best Picture almost any
0: other year. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, just, yeah.
1: it just picked the wrong
0: year. Yeah, just picked it, the wrong year.
1: Um, yeah, but Daniel Day-Lewis gives, yes, one of the greatest performances uh, I can remember. Um yeah, everything you said is 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 spot on. I I maybe always just put this movie down a little bit. It's a little long for me. Kind of the middle part with his you know, quote unquote brother. Mm-hmm. That whole little chunk of the movie kind of dragged a little a little bit for me. I'm being very nitpicky here. Sure, but this movie is something special.
0: Yeah, and like Paul Thomas Anderson movies, it's a little dense. But uh, upon rewatching and rewatching, I it. I think it clears itself up and then deepens so much. And for a
1: movie that takes place, what this is supposed to take place in, like the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen uh, hundreds, yeah, something like that turn, that, turn of the century. Turn uh, of the century. It's the message and the everything's still so prevalent today. Yeah,
0: greed, kind of in capitalism income, yeah. v religion. Who you serve? You know, it's it's, it's phenomenal. Of uh, a reoccurring theme in a lot of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson works. That's true. Yeah. All right, number two. Terrence Malick's Tree of Life from 2011. Funny enough, this is the terrestrial 2001. I know I just said Paul Thomas Anderson's the <laughs> Kubrick of this generation. Well, he didn't make a 2001, Terrence Malick did. I know I like to say that Pacific Rim is the biggest movie I've ever seen, but it's actually Tree of Life. I mean, the when I saw this movie, I saw it on a TV screen and it blew me away. I can only imagine what it looked like in theaters. It is transcendent, it is from the microscopic to the cosmic, beautiful. Great performances, Brad Pitt, Jessica Chastain, Sean Penn, only adding to the sheer beauty of this movie, uh, orchestrated by maybe the best cinematographer of our time, Emmanuel Lubezki. Gravity, Revenant, Birdman, Children of Men, look at the fucking century this guy's had. (laughs)
1: Yeah, maybe no one's had a better century than this guy. Shoots
0: the hell out of this movie, it is gorgeous, um... This this might also be the first Terrence Malick film I ever saw, and I'm still trying to dig into a lot of his work. Um, but I love it. I love it. It's it's so good. So just the scope and everything just uh, transcendent. I think is the only word that you can really use for this movie. It's gorgeous. Terrestrial two thousand one. Tree of Life. You said it. yeah. I'm embarrassed to say I've still not seen this film. <sighs> And, uh,
1: obviously, after it making this list, I know I have to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Someone in L.A., let's do a showing of this at a theater. I want to see this thing on a big screen in 35 millimeter. Ooh. Or 70 millimeter. I don't know what it is. I don't think it's shot in 70. Probably not. Yeah.
1: But, uh, yeah, I'd love to see it on a big screen, too. Yeah. uh, You have talked about this movie a lot, and uh, it's on me for not having seen it before. But, yes, it's it's something I have to do.
0: Yeah. I like that it made uh, Malik start working again. Uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of his newer movies have not received the claim that I'd say the first half of his career has uh, garnered. Not really. Yeah, Jennifer Garnered. Not, nice. <laughs> not nice. That's no, no bearing on Terrence Malick's work whatsoever.
1: None whatsoever. It was actually
0: lazy. All right, here we go, guys. <laughs> Number one, the best film of the century so far. 17 years in. Brad, what is it? The movie The Beat There Will Be Blood. The only movie to do it. No Country for Old Men. Coen Brothers 2007. Yeah.
1: I mean the Go best Ma, the best filmmakers today arguably um, doing their best work. Uh we've talked about I mean to add to the great performances, I mean great villain performances in Walton and Ledger, great performance overall Daniel Day-Lewis, another one here from Javier Bardem. Easily. I I mean my my god, that guy just When I walked out of this movie in the theater for the first time, while I knew I had seen a great film, he was all I could think about. He was all I could focus on. I've now seen this movie probably ten times at this point in my life. Each time it gets better. I love how minimalist it kind of is, even in dialogue, but it's written so brilliantly, especially, boy, Tommy Lee Jones should thank the Coen brothers for giving him just such juicy dialogue to work with. It is...
0: Again, how prescient of uh, the speech he gives worsening evils over time. Oh. Like, I mean, it comes back again and again in this crazy world. And I love the, kind of the deconstruction of a Western. Uh, the
1: the old cop who, like, always kind of, you assume they always get their man and he never even has a face-to-face with Bardev in this movie. And I think that's what makes this so
0: special. Yeah, we don't even see our hero... Kick the bucket, spoiler alert.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, he has... Uh, the scene that always resonates with me, it, there's a lot of scenes that resonate with me, uh, is the scene where Tommy Lee Jones goes over to his friend's house, who is now in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. and kind of has... It, it's, I think, the uh, the scene that truly kind of defines the title, like why it's called No Country for Old Men, and heard you're retiring, why I feel overmatched, kind of thought God would come to me later in my life, and he didn't. It's just it's brilliantly written and brilliantly filmed. You get these like really existential, brilliant uh, pieces of dialogue, but then you also have these great kind of action scenes, the chase of uh, the whole scene of uh, 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 Josh Brolin in his hotel room when he knows that Bardem's there, turns out the light, the lights go off in the hallway, the feet walking, like just, again, building suspense in a brilliant fashion. And then the chase in the street is actually like a really good action scene. The the hero of Josh Brolin, you never see what's coming next, as he says to the woman at the pool, and then all of a sudden he's dead in the next scene, and you don't even see it, which yep. the first time I saw it, I was like, why don't you see why, uh, how? And then when you rewatch it again, you're like, because it's brilliant. Sopranos ending. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you don't need to see it. It's just, ugh. I could talk about this movie for an hour.
0: Yeah. Hours. And like you said, it's it's so funny that the parallels this has with There Will Be Blood. I mean, both Westerns both shot within miles of each other. At the same time, uh, an amazing score in There Will Be Blood. Not a single piece of music in No Country for Old Men. Solely relying on the performances, the filmmaking, the... It's... So intelligent. A, a feat. It is a feat. And again, Coen Brothers, Inside Lewin Davis and Single Man could easily be on this list as well. I think the Coen Brothers are operating at a new, um... Yes, Brad? Serious Man? Serious Man. Single yes. Man's the Tom Ford movie. Yes. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh... Yeah, I, I think both phenomenal films, uh, definitely deserving probably a little little lower on this list. Um, yeah, hard hard to beat. I mean, the density that is in uh, *The Early Blood* I think is is diffused a little in *No Country for Old Men*. Not enough that I don't think it's it's dumbed down, but uh, certainly I think elevates this movie above the rest. Agreed, for sure. Well, there it is, guys. That's our list. The stress is over <sighs> of having to make <laughs> pick only five each. Yeah, if you uh agree, disagree, have something to add, let us know. Please yell at us, Brad. Do you have any runners up here that uh just missed out on the list that maybe if you were doing 10, 20 on your own, you would have uh, added? There's uh, I'm gonna name five uh
1: real quickly here. Uh, M- Michael Mann's masterpiece, Collateral, I think is uh, it's a great LA movie. Tom Cruise in one of his. Uh, most unique roles. Jamie Foxx, my favorite performance of his. Uh, In Bruges, the first time I loved Colin Farrell, and that movie is delightfully gruesome and violent.
0: Uh, Yeah, McDonough, maybe about to make his masterpiece. We'll see. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. very excited for that.
1: Uh, Probably, I feel like there's two comedies of this... Uh, these 17 years that I could put on this list one of them is super bad kind of the perfect love it co- uh, high school comedy um,
0: the best popcorn
1: movie uh, I think of this uh, range of years Ocean's Eleven So much fun, great cast. Well, a
0: masterful filmmaker in Soderbergh doing a heist film. And a great heist film. Heist films are all... You don't
1: make a great heist film without a really good heist, and this movie has a really good heist. Yeah,
0: and it oozes cool. Uh,
1: It's the coolest movie.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, Brad Pitt, Damon, Clooney, what more do you need? And kind of a smaller film uh, I want to mention, Duncan Jones' Moon. uh, One of the most overlooked movies. And Sam Rockwell... uh, if you like Sam Rockwell and you haven't seen this movie, stop listening right now. and Go watch <laughs> Moon. Uh, it is awesome, and he is brilliant in it. I, I love him, and that movie is the reason why.
0: There you go. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, hi. You know, I we're both big fans of this. But mine, uh, pop star, never stop, never stopping. That was the other comedy. The best comedy of the century so far. I'm sorry, I, I'm unabashedly uh, pro this film. It's phenomenal. Spinal Tap for, for a new generation. Uh, the Raid Redemption. The one international film on here that I, that I have. The new gold standard for action. Uh, John Wick and Captain America Winter Soldier need to say thank you to the Raid Redemption. Uh, in the way they kind of show action and put the camera right in there. It's outstanding. Um, Mulholland Drive. I David Lynch's masterpiece. Easily could have made this list. Kind of amazed <clears throat> that it didn't, but it yeah. just kind of fell through
1: the cracks. But that movie is phenomenal. And
0: you and I both are, are not the, the biggest of Lynch fans. No, but, we're But uh, that, that is a, a phenomenal movie. And then I get into some of more personal picks for me. I love Todd Haynes' I'm Not There, the Bob Dylan biopic that is uh, just so beautiful and insightful and creatively told with different actors playing Bob Dylan in different incarnations of his life. Good Night and Good Luck. George Clooney's. um, uh, News? Yeah, what's his name? Uh, Murrow. Uh, Yeah, Edward. Edward (laughs) Murrow biopic. Uh, Phenomenal, beautiful black and white film, great cinematography. And um, Beasts of the Southern Wild. I love that film. It is gorgeous, it is uh, different, it's exciting. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I think that one gets passed over a lot, and I don't think that is, uh, very fair. So there it is. That's that? That's a whole bunch more movies that, you, uh, if you haven't seen, catch up on them, because they're the best of these quick 17 years. Whew, yeah. Jeez. Well, there it is, guys. That's our list. Um... Please, go back, listen to 225 episodes of High on Film. Listen to each and every one. Plus, oh, 60 or 70 mini-episodes of Buzzed Off Films at this point. Um, follow us on Twitter at High on Film. You can email us at Show at gmail.com. Uh, Facebook at High on Film. I'm at Cross Maxwell on Twitter. That's Chris with an O instead of an I. BD. Always GP on Twitter for you.
1: That is correct. And Instagram. And uh, last time, I'll probably plug this for the year. I love you, Pittsburgh Pirates, my baseball blog. I put out my last uh, letter to them uh, this past Monday. So about a week ago now. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, the the one had a little more significance to me than normal. So, uh, yeah, that's my last one for the year. You can find it on my Twitter page or on Tumblr.
0: There it is, guys. We'll be back next week with a guest and a new movie for your listening enjoyment right after this one week break. We love you. Goodbye.